In episode 143 of Circles Off, we're joined by the Beagle Bets to discuss specialization, NBA props, work-life balance, and a whole lot more. This week's episode of Circles Off starts now. Welcome to Circles Off, episode number 143, right here, part of the Hammer Betting Network and presented by Pinnacle Sportsbook. I'm Rob Pizzola, flying solo again this week, but we do have fake Johnny in the studio with me, looking as suave as ever. Pinnacle hat, bet stamp shirt. 43, Zach. 43. I don't know, Nazem Kadri. Yeah. Yeah. I, um... This is kind of embarrassing that I'll, I'll even share this story, but uh, one of my best friends, huge Pittsburgh Steelers fan. I was a big Dallas Cowboys fan uh, growing up and still am, which is why I see the Cowboys helmet in front of me over here. But I know Troy Polamalu wore 43 throughout his career. And I know that because we often used to debate who the better safety was, Troy Polamalu or Roy Williams. Roy Williams, inventor of the horse collar tackle for the <laughs> Dallas Cowboys, who had a very good couple of years. This was long before I knew anything about football, by the way. I was just like a casual fan, Homer, Dallas Cowboys fan. And I look back at that debate in hindsight, and I'm like, what an absolute idiot I was. Forever <laughs> arguing that Roy Williams is a better safety than Troy Polamalu. So I'll always remember Polamalu 43, as I will Spicy P. Yes. Pascal Siakam. Yes, that's good. That's good. Who, uh, oddly enough, McDonald's did like a commercial with him. Or like they they had like some sort of spicy pea. Yeah. Frosty, something like that. Uh, Yeah, I could try to find it, but I think you're right. Yeah. It was something like that. Which, no, not well, Frosty's not. McFlurry or whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That they brought into play like a week before he got shipped out of town. Yeah. Couldn't have been the, the worst timing possible. Could not have been any worse than that. Well, do you remember after, I mean, like, not everyone's going to get these, but at least in Canada, you would uh, remember when they tr- the Raps were going on that run and they traded everybody. I yeah. think, like, CJ Miles was part of it, mm-hmm. and they had all those ads of him that were, like, CJ's PJs and all that stuff, and they just kept running even after he got traded, and everyone just bought in and was like, "I'm so happy I get to see all these all the time." I'm like, why? Who cares? That's uh, funny. Some of the stuff's funny. The branding is is really funny. Uh, you you would remember this as well, but when uh, I can't remember which came first, Luke's troops or Loops troops. Do you know what I'm talking about? It was Luke's troops, Luke Shen, and then they shipped them out. Yeah. And because Joffrey Lupel was on the team. Yep, Loops Troops. Yeah, so if you were ever attend like a Toronto Maple Leafs game, last 10 to 20 years, uh, whenever they would introduce the, the troop, the honorary military member in attendance, everyone stands up, you know, gives a round of applause, standing ovation. It used to be Luke's Troops for Luke Shen. Then they traded him and they're like, what are we going to do? They had Joffrey Lupel became Loops, Loops Troops. Yeah. Very clever. Yeah, the, uh, the McDonald's one was the swirl because he did the spin mm, move the spin and stuff move all the swirl. time makes, yeah makes a lot of sense. but you know what some of these companies like they just got to throw all the kind of marketing in the world that they can at stuff and put all pigs lipstick on a pig and stuff to make it marketable but you know a company that doesn't have to do that rob absolutely does not that'd be pinnacle sportsbook don't have to market themselves spend millions of dollars on marketing because everyone already knows that they're the world's sharpest sportsbook and one of the best betting experiences you can have in market. 
honest to God, I practice what I preach and great sportsbook product, great customer service, easy to get money in and out, not a sportsbook that's ever going to limit you if you're winning bets, not going to log on one day and all of a sudden find $1 limits or anything like that. Just overall, great experience. So if you're in Canada, make sure you check out Pinnacle Sportsbook. You can use code HAMMER to sign up. You must be 19 plus, not available in the US. And as always, please play responsibly. But as we're approaching baseball season coming up right now, you want to bet baseball, you're absolutely insane if you're not doing that with Pinnacle, especially with the VIG that some of these sportsbooks charge you. You'll get great prices there. So make sure you add it to your sportsbook portfolio. Before we get into this week and our guest for this week as well, thank you to everyone who donated to the Troy Hermo GoFundMe. I saw as soon as our episode went live last week, within the next hour, there was a bunch of donations. We got him over his goal. So appreciate anyone who donated. You still can donate, even though he's reached his goal. We'll drop that in the description below. And everyone who wished Las Vegas Chris well wishes as well in the comments of last week's episode going through his bout with cancer. That's very much appreciated as well. So thank you to everyone in the community who did that. Next item of note. I normally don't like to do this. I'm a horrible salesman. I'm very, very bad at marketing myself, our brand, and whatever. We're getting decent viewership on these shows. We're getting decent listenership. What would really, really help me is if you watch this regularly, just hit that subscribe button. Just hit it. Even if you don't want notifications on for episodes, you can turn them off. It's not invasive at all, but it does help us monetize our channel. So if you watch every single week, or if you're new here, and you want good sports betting content, I promise you we will deliver good sports betting content. Very educational. This isn't like other YouTube channels where you got some snake oil salesmen selling you stuff that they don't believe just to grow grow their channels. We stick to truth, real real education. Do Do me a favor, smash that subscribe button down below. Help us get up and up and up. It's the only way we grow this and monetize it, and we can do it forever. Before we get into our guest, do you happen to listen to, to Billy Walters on Joe Rogan? No, I have not yet. Um, I saw all the reviews of it. I'm nervous based on what I saw from the people that I respect as betters and their reviews to hear what my friends say who don't necessarily know all the stuff. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, I, I like totally I'm interested that. to see what's gonna happen when they start listening. I'd like to talk to Johnny about this when he's back. I'm sure he'll have an opinion on it, but I had to break this up into multiple parts. Um, So I've seen some people are like, oh, it's great, Billy Walters on Joe Rogan. Uh, I I like Joe Rogan a lot. Some people might judge me for that. I don't care. I'm just going to be explicitly clear. I've always liked Joe Rogan. I think he's a very good podcaster. I don't agree with everything he says or his beliefs on certain things, but I think he's a very entertaining person that puts together a really good podcast. Big Joe Rogan fan, even from the UFC, everything related to him. However, I thought this interview was absolutely terrible. <laughs> like it was, it was hard. I listened to half hour. I'm like, I don't know if I can do this. And part of the reason why is like the subject matter expertise from Joe is just not there. So there's so many times where he could, it's like he wasn't even listening some of the times or a lot of what Billy was saying just went right over his head. Right. But it would have been so nice to have someone who like understands sports betting, who could have had a conversation and jumped in with like real applicable questions at certain times. So I, I was really disappointed. I finally got through the whole thing. And there were some things that just like, 
it's hard to describe, but they're just like very trivial things in betting that Joe Rogan thought were like, like he was mesmerized, like, whoa, like, like <laughs> it, it was it was a really tough listen. I wanted that to be a lot better than it was. Uh, I have some opinions on a lot of the stuff that Billy said, and I, I'm gonna just preface all of this really quickly by saying that Billy Walters is a legendary sports better, like legendary cream of the crop. I'm not at, by any means suggesting I'm even remotely close to the level that Billy Walters was at. I would really like to break down a lot of the stuff that he said, because a lot of it's just like counterintuitive to what I would naturally believe. Like, let's say that interview was held uh, and it wasn't Billy Walters, right? It was someone else sharing all those stories that I'd never heard of, didn't know about. I might have left that interview questioning whether or not that person even had an edge in sports betting. Right. It's not a disrespect to him, but like stuff like the Super Bowl line was seven points off. The Colts Saints Super Bowl line. I, I, I smashed it. It was like the biggest bet of my life. I thought it was seven points off. Stuff like that. The way that he runs his operation. Anyways, to each their own. He's made a ton of money. The greatest better that I've ever known of and I've always ever known of. But I, I found that really interesting and I would have just loved to like, I mean, for someone to just push back on some of that, mm -hmm. that had like a little bit more knowledge in the space. So should we do a breakdown of it? Maybe at some point or just certain parts. There's a lot of parts that I timestamped, particularly that I, I, I'd like to talk to Johnny about it a little bit more for sure. Yeah. But um, yeah, just it was just this. It was like a slog to get through. There seemed like times where you know I was listening to 20 minutes on on high speed, and I, you know, I couldn't. You I, were on speed. <laughs> it, it just felt so slow, and I, I just kept wanting to to jump in over and over and over. But uh, you know, I I've talked with other people about. I talked to G Stack George about this, and he brought up like a great point, which is like, this is why scammers like Vegas Dave can manipulate an audience because they can get on a show with a big platform. Yeah. The host has no betting knowledge whatsoever and they're selling him a big dream, Yeah, essentially. It's the same as like certain people who put in their bios, like as seen on ESPN or what as seen on, the, on all these things. It's like, well, just because you were on there and they had you on as a guest does not validate you in any way. But the average person thinks that it validates them. Oh, so you're you're saying that some people in the space who might have that in their bio and and say that kind of stuff? Am I, is there a specific example you're, mad, you're thinking? Bro. Of? <laughs> no, I will. well, maybe someone named GRP, as oh. seen on. <laughs> I mean, the GRP luster is wearing off real quick now. Yeah, I don't know if he's trying to source some sort of sponsorship or something like that. It was nice when he's putting out like a few things every now and then. Now it's just, there's a lot going on. That's a story for another day. But anyways, just wanted to share my thoughts because it's a, it's a talking point and I, I, to each their own, like this is, this is completely subjective, right? I watch a movie and I'm not gonna have the same opinion as someone else who might watch the same movie. Yeah. I listen to a certain type of music, somebody else is not gonna have the same opinion, especially on the music that I listen to, like progressive metal and stuff like that. But this one in particular, I don't know, just as a better, it left me wanting so much more. And there, I thought there were so many times where the conversation just deviated from what it could have been. 
and there was no real good follow-up questions. Really weird. Uh, very interesting that they had Billy Walters on. That's yeah. kind of like out of the, the realm of what I would have expected from Rogan. But, uh, oh well, such is life. Uh, he's done very, very good interviews in the past before. I just thought that this wasn't one of them. Hopefully, this one here on Circles Off this week is one of them. Our guest this week is a professional prop better specializing in the NBA and a little bit in the NFL as well. You can follow him on Twitter at the Beagle Bets. Adam now joins us on Circles Off. Adam, how's it going? Going good. Happy to be on here. Yeah, no problem at all. Uh, we've gotten a lot of requests for you, which is interesting. Uh, and I don't mean to diminish in any way, but you have a smaller Twitter following than a lot of people we typically get requests for. I know you recently appeared uh, on the Always Betting Pod as well with Pisky and um, and the Godfather. But let's get into it here, Adam. Um, start with your betting background. Uh, we ask this to every single one of our guests that's on here that's a little bit more unknown. But how did you get started in, in the betting space? Uh, what's led you to the point that you're at right now? Uh, so it started back with uh, internet poker, which was, I think, pretty common for people my age. I'm 38 now, so it was kind of college was right when the big poker boom was. So I think a lot of people that age started playing. And I'm someone who never really liked school a lot. Um, after high school, I took a year off. I ran like an eBay business and just, you know, buying bulk and reselling. And then I went to school for a year, kind of, you know, got bored, went, moved to San Diego for a year, worked a job out there. And then got bored again, went back to school in Boston, where I'm from. And then, uh, so right around then, my friend was playing poker and winning, and he was better to get me into it. Uh, I played, you know, in high school, we all watched rounders and, you know, thought we were, thought we were good at poker, but had no idea. But then uh, he started me on cash games. I think I started with about $10, playing like one cent, two cent. And I was probably grinded up to about 200, 300 bucks, maybe. But I think it was just a little too uh, ADHD to really stick with like the full ring small stakes. So I just started playing heads up, sit and goes, I think starting around 20, the $20 buy-ins. And honestly, I didn't have the bankroll for that, at least what was in my poker account. It's not something I really necessarily thought I was going to do long term. So I could have easily just busted that and, you know, not gone back to it. And I think there's a lot of survivorship bias and a lot of APs, how they get started especially if it's not something they necessarily had as a goal, but just something they kind of stumbled into. And I, I guess I just kind of had a good intuition how to play heads up, sit and goes. Back then, this is pre-solver and everything. So it was really whatever you thought was a good hand, a good way to play a hand versus whatever they thought was a good way to play a hand. And I just moved up and kept winning. I eventually was, you know, playing regularly at like the highest stakes, which was 5,000. Uh, and did very well for quite a couple for a couple years like 2008 2009 i was really having a ton of success uh, and then 2010 is i think right around when people started getting into uh, solvers and playing in a more mathematical way and i wasn't really even aware they were doing that let alone doing it myself mm -hmm. so i started to just no longer be winning in some of the games that i'd been winning in and i think you just kind of develop an ego from playing you know from having a lot of success early so at first i was just kind of thinking to myself like you know these guys are getting lucky I, i'm the, one of the best players nothing to worry about and I, it was kind of starting to dawn on me that maybe that i was actually falling behind and then right around then is when in you know 2011 black friday so you couldn't keep playing internet poker if you were in the us 
so and you know i was dating my wife at the time obviously not my wife yet and you know she had a job as a teacher in san diego and so i didn't really have any interest in leaving the country to keep playing which was maybe kind of a blessing in disguise because i really shouldn't have kept playing at those stakes anymore so i kept playing at uh so i started playing smaller stakes on some of the sites you could still play on from within the u.s and then also during those couple years i've been playing sort of semi-competitive fantasy basketball just like before daily fantasy but in leagues with other poker players and so i kind of just had a feeling of like you know i was used to following sports now and seeing how players were doing every day and kind of having projections for how players would do a little bit so i think that was kind of what got me interested in sports betting and I think one big thing coming over from poker was that I understood that you weren't going to just be able to log on and pick the sides you liked and be a winner without really putting any thought into it because it, that's how some people would approach poker and obviously they didn't have a lot of success. So I had that background of, I just, I didn't really know how to win at sports betting, but I knew that if you didn't put some effort into it, you weren't going to win, which I think is a, maybe a better starting point than some people come into it with. Um, and then from there, I guess kind of started small. I was doing uh, Wong teasers, you know, easy way to get started. And then uh, my personal favorite is I was tracking in a notebook, like, you know, our friend George. I was writing down every tip result, like who started with the ball from every go through the play by play. And I would bet on which NBA team would score first based on whose center was more likely to get the tip off. I'm going to interrupt you just really sure. quickly. Around what year was this when you were doing that? Uh, this was probably 2011 now. So, wow. the, you know, right when Black Friday hit, yep. um, I was still playing some poker, but I was kind of bouncing back and forth. And I expanded from there. You know, I was doing, started doing some baseball props, football props. I was trying to consume content, so I guess I didn't really have maybe a great filter for what was good content. I was listening to like pregame and that kind of stuff. And I do think that even listening to some stuff that wasn't that sharp was maybe helpful because it, it, you hear an idea and then you think for yourself, was that a good idea? Was that not a good idea? So even if maybe 80% of it wasn't good advice or particularly relevant, it's, I think it did just being around content, having stuff to listen to was maybe helpful in that development. Um, and, you know, things were softer back then too, for sure. So you could kind of, even though I didn't really have a great idea how I was doing, I was able to win maybe not on every market I was betting, but I was, you know, there was more low hanging fruit, like a player would be rolled out and his, his teammates lines would stay up on certain sites. So, you know, it doesn't take a huge genius to figure out how to bet some of those lines. And I was doing a lot of baseball, like live betting, which I had a little bit of success with, but I'd kind of look for angles. Like if you had a really good bullpen, but maybe you weren't a great team and you got up two runs in like the seventh, I'd bet them minus two because the line would be more shaped on the pregame line. But now they're going to have, say, I think it was the Yankees one year had like three insane relievers. So, you know, if they got a, they were maybe a 500 team. So if they got a lead late, then they were going to be mispriced. And, just kind of went from there for a while looking for angles and still playing poker from about 2011 through 2016. And I was winning every year, but I wasn't necessarily making a ton or wasn't necessarily developing that much either. But I was growing some. And then in 2017, I started working with uh, somebody full time actually for a few years who was just getting out of college and he had a computer science background. So we worked on a few different things, but the big project was uh, he made a simulation model for baseball, which, you know, it was it was based on Steamer, and this is the year Statcast came out. So, 
it's like we, we were it was pretty good and we'd be on market for most games and then the games we were off market we were probably the ones who were wrong so you know they asked some alpha maybe against openers but it really wasn't as strong as we thought it was and we were both a little bit inexperienced with betting into major markets and maybe overrated sort of how how much alpha was in it in it but it's still I think we were probably break even or a very small winner on some of the main major market stuff but it was very helpful too because it was uh it was simming out prop lines. And back then, a lot of prop lines were way softer. Right. So like you look at Bovada, they had like the hits runs, RBIs, as like, you know, you could bet pretty much everyone under. And <laughs> so there's a lot more easy stuff back then where you could kind of learn and as you went and still win without being as, it, it's harder to do that now. because it's just not as much, not as many soft lines. Yeah. This, this is, I'm getting, I'm getting like, actual, this is absurd for me to say. I'm getting, you can probably see the hair standing up on my arm right now. I'm getting goosebumps. Uh, there's a lot of overlap between a lot of betters in the space and their origin story. You're roughly my age. And like, we, we have the same story, which is the, the weirdest thing for me. Like, didn't know what we wanted to do in high school, hated school in the early going, uh, started in poker, made a bunch of money there. Uh, didn't know what we were doing when we started betting, but like found our way into certain edges. The NBA first score thing, like that edge existed for a long time, which I also used to bet. I went from steamer projections in a simulation model to trying to build it out for stack. Like the overlap is actually scary right now, Adam. Like it's, it's, it's like I'm yeah. listening to myself tell my own story. That's funny. Yeah. And, and we were doing other sports too. Um, and my partner, you know, for football, he actually had made like a very simple but incredibly effective model uh, just for game props. It literally had the only inputs were spread in total but it actually found some huge edges, uh, like say total field goals, total, you know, the, the distance of longest touchdown. And a lot of that stuff was just, you would think for such a simple model, you're not gonna find, you're just not gonna have a lot of alpha, but if the edges, if the lines are soft enough, then, you know, we were probably betting, I would say 13 or 14 out of 16 games under longest touchdown and winning nine, 10% ROI every, you know, not every week, but average over a season. And, right. You know, that actually lasted all the way up through the uh, started to diminish, but really all the way through like the 22 season, you could still do that. Finally, you know, lines that used to be 39 and a half or 34 and a half, 32 and a half. And, you know, eventually they catch on. Same thing, uh, hits, runs, uh, errors in baseball, because, you know, baseball changed so that even if, say, there was the similar number of runs, there was more strikeouts, more home runs. So maybe in the past nine, a total of nine used to equal 27 hits runs, errors on average. And now it's maybe equaling 25. The so same thing for about a month, you could bet pretty much every game under 10% ROI. But again, you know, it, when it's that simple, it just is not going to last. And all through the, but during all this time too, I was kind of betting player props, football and especially uh, basketball. And that is sort of different than a lot of the other stuff we were betting because it wasn't really formulaic. I was really generating that more through just not through a model or not through like, but just really looking through the stats and coming up with what I thought the number should be and then comparing it to the line and betting it. And I certainly wasn't as good at it early on, but was sort of always able to win due to the lines being softer. And then over time, you know, kept getting better at it. So even as the lines got harder, I was able to maintain maybe a similar ROI. So so just to, to stop you there, were, were like you manually just digging through box scores yourself to to assemble numbers on specific players? Yeah, I still am. 
I to this day. That's how I bet actually. Wow. And people people don't believe that because uh, I work with certain groups and I'll send out like 50, 60, 70 plays sometimes in a day. And they they're not really uh, they don't really understand how I'm doing that, but I guess it's a lot of experience and a lot of if you do something, if you specialize in something, so if I look at a player's line, I have a rough idea what his line was, you know, over the last week or two, you know, all his games. So I'm able to very quickly just sort of decide if I want to bet or if I want to dig a little deeper or if I want to just move on. And two things that I think are maybe a little bit different about me is I'm not afraid to make a bad bet, which might sound funny, okay. but I, I'm trying to make as much, you know, at the end of the day, you're going to make as, mu- as much money as you bet times your expected ROI. So if you put in more effort to, to sort of dig into every angle, read every little blurb about a player, like sure you might, avoid a bet that you weren't going to make or find a good bet that you were. But if I can get a pretty good sense of whether or not it's a good bet in very little time, then I'm willing to, you know, if you have 60 bets in a day and five of them or four of them are, you know, minus a couple percent of ROI, it's, you know, it's fine. They're just kind of out a few of your winning bets and you'll still be left with, you know, 50 good bets on the, on the ledger. So it's not something that I'd necessarily recommend to someone who's newer and a little bit less confident in what they're doing, but <laughs> You know, I've, I've been doing NBA props probably since 2011, uh, certainly 2012. I'm sure I was so. So a lot of experience. Your your main focus is NBA props, uh, and and you mentioned you're originating in some form. We'll dig into that a little bit. Uh, is is it 100% origination, or do you do you have any sort of uh, top down betting within that, or are you just making your own bets based off of what you think is going to happen? Pretty much entirely making my own bets off what I think is going to happen. If I'm going through sites and I happen to notice that one line is kind of off market and maybe I'll throw in a bet that I didn't look at that close just because it's, you know, 20, 25 cents off market, but that's, you know, probably 1% or less of what I'm doing. Pretty much just I, what I think the number should be versus what they're offering. And that's my bet. So there's different forms of origination. And this interview is starting to remind me of an episode we did with someone called uh, China Maniac. Um, towards the end of 2023, where the immediate response on the comments on YouTube were, this guy's full of shit. Like, there's no way this this guy is beating NFL props by digging through box scores manually on a weekly basis and just betting them. Uh, And now I've known China for a little bit. I've known people who've worked with him, moved his stuff. Everybody, like, had testified to me basically of, like, his success over the years, but people couldn't believe this. I assumed going into this interview, people told me you're originator, that you had some sort of model. You had mentioned previously you built like some sort of Monte Carlo sim with your partner for baseball. What got you outside of like the pure modeling side and more into like, I'm just going to manually do all this stuff myself. Was it just because you were having success doing that and you continued going with that process? Uh, just walk me through like the decision-making and how you were going to handicap these games. Yeah, so first I just want to say, I listened to that China uh, interview and then I remember you saying that everybody said he was full of it. And it's funny because I listened to it and I was like, wow, this guy's just like me. Like I totally believe what he's doing because it's what I do. But you know, I guess to a lot of people when they listen to it, you know, they think that's not very practical or they just think it doesn't seem possible to do. So maybe people have the same thought here. But uh, so the reason we did Sims for baseball is because it's just a much more linear game, right? It's much easier to sim out. But basketball, it's 
you could try to come up with some kind of model, obviously. I think anything you can think of can at least in be theory put into a model, but there's just a lot of intricacy that goes into it that I think is hard to model and I can sort of do without modeling in terms of predicting, say, play usage, playing time. Um, I guess the simplest answer is that I'm very good at separating out signal from noise. So the line is going to be based on how a player has been performing lately. And just so a very simple example would be if a player goes two for three from three, three games in a row, and he'd been lined at one and a half every game, I'd expect to start seeing the line more uh, more and more like on the over, let's say, because he's covering the spread three games in a row. But to me, two out of three is, you know, extremely unsustainable. He's going to average much closer to one out of three. There's very, very little signal in that. While if he went one out of six, three games in a row, there's a good chance the line's going to go down. And but to me, shooting six a game, he's bound to start making two because there's not that three games is a ton of signal for attempt either, but it's going to be a lot more signal. There's more signal in attempts and certainly a lot more signal in playing time than there is in shooting percentage over a sample of nine or 18 you know, shots, which is almost meaningless. Very- and that's, that's certainly not close to the only thing I'm looking at. But that's sort of one quick example of how you could see the line, maybe why the line's being set a certain way, and there's something incorrect about that. So, so from my perspective, what you're doing is still a form of modeling, right? Like you, you are just doing like there, there in reality could be a way where you automate that, and you're able to to go through like the, all these things exist in your head, right? Like you have some sort of process where you see something pretty consistently and it could be a light bulb or something that stands out to you where you're like, no, this is not right. This is not a reflection of reality. You could technically do that. There's just some people that are just more comfortable with their own process. Um, I I go back and forth between sometimes with these sometimes as well, because you build a model, things are automated. It's great. It's a lot of time savings, but you might miss something here or there that you're consistently missing. And when you manually go through this process, there's a a cost associated with it in terms of time, but you're more likely, in my opinion, to get it right a lot of times. So, I mean, like this in what you're describing to me, even though it's not a traditional model in and of itself, where it's like written in Excel or, or, or some, or R or Python, it's still a way of modeling the game. For sure. Yeah. I have a, Obviously, don't want to go into the majority of them, but I have a bunch of things that I look at kind of on the regular that would inform what I'm going to what what I think the line's going to be. Another example I'd give is, you know, predicting playing time. The teams that are have no the Kings last year essentially had no injuries and they were probably the team I'd find the least props on. Because if you're running out the same eight man rotation almost every game, it's going to be reasonably similar minutes. But you see people coming in and out of the lineup. Their stats will be skewed because of maybe games they played with. I think, remember, um, China Maniac mentioning this too, right? But if you have games where you maybe played with uh, certain players out of the lineup, it's not going to be, those stats are not going to be predictive of your stats in the future. Or um, Same with minutes too. Like if you just really have a good sense of the league, if maybe a starting center's out, the backup center, in some cases, they're going to play 30 plus minutes. In some cases, they're just not a player who's really going to play that. Even if they're the starter, they might still only play 25 instead of 18. And so just having a good sense of coaches, players, rotations, matchups, there's like a lot of, you know, a lot of different components, but a lot of that stuff is just, you could try to put it into a model, but if you had an input, like if starter is out, then backup plays, you know, X, it's like, that's not going to be predictive across 
different players, different positions. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, in regards to NBA specifically, uh, how often have you had to change your process over the course of the years, if at all? Like what you're doing nowadays, uh, if you were to go back to four or five years ago when you were betting uh, player props for NBA, is, is it the same day to day? Were you looking at the same things or has there, there been more of an evolution in what you do? A little bit of both. I would say I'm still doing fundamentally the same project, uh, same type of stuff. But sure, you know, uh, NBA.com even is a great resource. There's like a lot of stats on there. I try to look at things that are maybe like I used to only really look at, uh, like say how many assists somebody was getting would be a, a main indicator for me. But now they have things like potential assists with like tracking if you pass the ball to somebody and they shoot whether or not they make it, they're tracking that even passes made in the game. So I, I do look at stats that are more, that are a little bit beyond just the stats you're betting at. Well, maybe five plus years ago, I wasn't doing that as much. And I've definitely, one thing too, uh, my old partner, he didn't build like a model for basketball, but he did build like out a database where you could search certain things mm-hmm. that weren't necessarily easily publicly available. So you could kind of filter through stats, maybe take out certain games or put in, you know, only look at certain subsets of games that I might be more predictive. So I definitely have advanced, but the same rough idea of just looking, of trying to look at usage, playing time, you know, typical rate of how well they're doing in that stat. Do you find, the, sorry, continue, uh, continue, Adam. Sorry. I was gonna say the specific stats that I'm looking at or the spe- specific things I'm looking at definitely evolved over time, but. I was gonna, I was gonna ask you, like, do you, do you find um, nowadays that they're, what's what's the right terminology here that maybe there's like a little bit of an information overload so to speak where there's there's almost too much to potentially look at like we're seeing the evolution of analytics and statistics in every sport baseball is a great example right back in the day there was you know steamer projections zips projections uh, an aggregate of both which was like depth charts was like an average of both and then that was it and then statcast came out and it became like you know a lot more to process and then we've you know further get down the road of more and more stats. And this kind of happened across every sport. Do you find that there's potentially some benefit in um, in just keeping it more simple, uh, if, if you understand what I'm getting at? Yeah, I do. And for me, yes, um, for sure. I do think there's a lot of stuff that like people, one stat you'll see, like say cited on Twitter a lot is like success versus a certain team. And I'm not, I do consider a matchup, but, you know, if you played against a team two years ago, like, so you say last 10 games against that team or something, that's, you know, it's just not going to be a useful stat. You know, there's going to be a lot of turnover. So I do think there's a relative simplicity, yeah, that you, I guess if you were putting it into a model and you had everything kind of perfectly weighted, you could just say this is a 1% fat, you know, 1% adjustment to it and that could work. But since I'm doing it in my head, there's a lot of stuff that I'm just not going to really look at because it's just not the signal is going to be too small it's just not going to be worth the time and you know i'm not i'm not necessarily if it's one thing if you were just doing five plays a day trying to like maximize your roi or anything but i'm just going for volume and i know that i can win over a large volume so it's if again if i can get in more stuff by going a little bit quicker on each prop that's gonna be a worthwhile trade-off there I want to touch on that shortly. I will revisit that in a second. Uh, I do just want to quickly take a step back because you talked about uh, baseball earlier, building the the Monte Carlo simulation with your your uh, partner. Um, just out of curiosity, this is again not to be uh, diminish you in any way or, or or be offensive, 
but you talked about like lack of schooling for yourself earlier, right? And it's not like everyone can all of a sudden just turn around and build like an effective model for baseball or a Monte Carlo simulation. Just curious where the where you acquired the skills to do that. Um, or even if you did, like some people are just like logic people and they work with a software engineer and the engineer's like, I'm going to, I'm going to, you know, I'll write the code myself. I'll figure this out. In your past, in the instance of actually building actual models, uh, where did that knowledge base come from? So actually, yeah, I can't code whatsoever. Um, my partner did all the coding. I He was just getting out of college and he messed around a little bit with DFS, but he had very little experience with sort of gambling or even less so with, you know, advanced analytics than I did in terms of understanding them, but he had all the math and coding background. So I just kind of helped him with what we should put into it. But he did all the coding on that end for sure. Um, I didn't, you know, I don't know how to do anything there. He showed me a few basic tricks to kind of just like update a daily if he was away or something. But I, I, yeah, I have no no real skill in that end. That's, I'm obviously probably a big part of why I've never tried to turn what I'm doing with basketball into a model because it's beyond my abilities. But yeah, so it was, and then, so yeah, a lot of that was just him making that. And we sort of both, we'd both be working on the betting. I was doing a lot more on the account gathering side. I was also betting, we were splitting everything we were doing across a few sports for a few years. So I was, uh, you know, doing some more of the other sports. He was more focused on baseball. It's part of why with basketball too, that I was never really trying to, you know, try to put that in. I was a philosophy major when I was in college, so. No, no skills whatsoever. I was a philosophy minor. I, I can't even tell you how this, I don't know how this is all happening. Um, you talked about volume and you want to play a lot of volume. Your words, not mine. You, you said like 60 to 70 props a day. I'm putting the pieces together now. And I think, um, you know, maybe there's been some overlap between partners we worked with before. I don't want to talk about the specific props that you bet. Um, but for NBA in particular, there might be some stuff related to blocks and steals and, uh, you know, all over the props board, right? High volume. Typically, we know that betting into those markets it leads to a shorter leash, generally speaking, when you're trying to get down on specific props in the NBA. Have you, like, when you're looking to get that volume, have you encountered any issues with scaling? Like, how are you repeatedly able to churn out that much volume over the course of an NBA season? I uh, got to work with a lot of people is the only right answer. So yeah, accounts do burn out. I do think that's maybe one thing that is a little bit of a misconception is that because props are very popular now with recreational bettors. So of course, if you're betting and you're winning, you will eventually get kicked off. But if you're betting other markets and, and getting CRV, you're going to get kicked off too. I mean, yeah, if you can bet, you know, NBA at post and get no CRV, CRV and win, then you're one of much better, better than I am until your accounts might last. But you know, if you're betting college basketball at seven in the morning and beating it by four points like that, that account's going to die out too. So I do think all winners run into kind of the same problem to some extent, but yeah, I've worked with people. Um, so I work with some bigger groups who, you know, I just send them the prop and they turn in what they get. I've also always had a lot of success working with friends or family where you just, you know, they make an account and you free all them a percent and, you know, usually people are pretty happy to do that. So. But yeah, you just, and then I've, I've had pe uh, a couple people who they burn through, most people, they burn through their accounts and they say like, well, that was fun. Like, you know, thanks. And they're on their way, but I've had a couple people who just really want to keep it going. So they've turned into, you know, like, Hey, I'm going to get my friend's provider and 
I think I mentioned on Pisky's pod, I think I've had one guy maybe get me 30, 30 providers over the years, in addition to some other accounts. So, yeah, you're just always nice hitting up the same people for bet online and going back around hitting five out of there. So, well, you just keep churning. Yeah. It's the nature of the business. If you're winning for people and you get cut off, they'll do what they can. I mean, people want to earn more. So, I mean, that's one of the benefits of actually being a winner in the space. Yeah, I know uh, Spanky says like winning's trivial, but the reality is for most people it's not. So if you're winning and consistently winning, but yeah, people are going to try to get your accounts. And I mean, I've, over the last couple of years, I've been working with more, uh, a few more like larger groups, which has been nice. A little bit less effort in terms of having to like constantly hit up your old friend from college or whatever and get them to open an account. But especially with legalization now, you know, a lot of a lot of states have legalized over the last three four years. So. Um, volume from about 2021 on is much, much higher than it had been, you know, previously. Now, presumably a lot of what you, I'll say what you have built, even though you haven't really built it, but presumably a, a lot of what you do can be extrapolated into like full game projections, right? Like if you're betting all these props across the board and you can accurately predict, uh, within some, you know, reasonable range points, assists, rebounds, whatever else might impact the game for players. Presumably that can be taken and you can use that to bet into NBA sides and totals, um, which you can bet a lot more specifically on one specific bet. Any thought, like do you do that at all or are you just strictly props focused? Uh, Very little. I used to do a little bit more. I've actually cut down to essentially none. Um, I have one friend who sometimes sends me a few stuff and I'll bet what he sends me. But beyond that, I really don't bet um, anything that. And so I got, I was thinking about this. um, I actually think heads up sitting goes with the props of poker, right? They, they, when I, I was very successful at that. Um, it's harder to know how you, you know, stack up in sports betting because it's not like public, but poker, there was like a website, uh, Shark Scope. Oh, yeah. so you could used see it, how people used it ranked all the time. And, yeah, yeah. See one, all those fishes year, next to the all those fishes next to the whoever you were searching up. Beautiful. You know, one year I had the number one account on Sharkscope. Uh, now my buddy had the number two and three accounts on two different sites right behind me with both of them. So uh, it's a maybe a pyrrhic victory. But you know, I was one of the most successful people there at our, at at heads up sitting goals, and people would say like, "Oh, why don't you switch to cash? There's more money in it. More not that I really care, but more prestige. More like." You know, and sure, like the people who are making the most originating sides, I'm sure making more than me. And the people who are making the mo- the best cash game players are making more than me. But I think you have to kind of find your niche in things. I'm, I have a very good understanding of sort of the NBA. I consume a lot of content around it, around players, rotations, and you know, knowing that a center is going to play 25 minutes or more likely to play 25 minutes than 32 minutes, it's not really going to have any impact on the side of total. Maybe some very, very negligible impact, but there's a massive impact on that player's props. And so I think it's a mistake to think that just because you've been very successful at one thing, that you could achieve the same kind of success at something a little bit different. And, you know, if you have a very successful defensive lineman, you're going to tell him, like, you should have played quarterback. That's where the money is. Like, you know, so... I do think just my knowledge of the space and my intuition sort of around the league, I do think I could be a winner, but I think it would be very, very difficult for me to have nearly to be the same kind of level I'm at doing sides and totals without being, you know, more math inclined or more of a model than I am with props. And like I said before, I think specialization is a huge factor for me. 
but if I'm spending, you know, a couple hours a day working on spreads, maybe I'm creating a little bit of EV for myself, but I just think I can cover a lot more ground on FOPS where I know I'm a winner and know I'm successful at that. And honestly, too, like, uh, I know this would, like, upset Johnny, but I don't want to be a billionaire or anything, right? Like, Yeah, to each their own. Fair enough. I'm a college dropout. I've made more money than I would have expected to make doing this. Honestly, I've made you know more than enough money to support support my lifestyle that I seek. My wife's you know able to take time off work, stay home with the kids. Like, so I I do not. I do try to scale up. I want to make more money. Everyone does, I guess. But like, I'm not. The fact that it's maybe a lower ceiling isn't really a deterrent to me. That's fine. I'm not. My life goal isn't to be you know have a private jet or live in the hugest mansion or anything. So I I think there's definitely a thing, uh, something to sticking with your niche in life and figuring out what you're good at. And you don't need to always jump around and chase like the next biggest thing. Yep, that was a really well thought out response. Um, curious about a particular scenario. So you uh, are, are working with a bunch of different groups. Uh, presumably you have a lot of market influence if that's the case. So people are getting down for you, especially if a lot of it's happening at once. Uh, likely going to move the market. Uh, I've we've had on a bunch of prop betters before. I know some pretty heavy hitters in in the props world. I'm curious what you do, and I, I I'm assuming this is a very rare instance. You can tell me if it's not. But what do you do in a situation where the market moves against you, and it's not related to to any news or, or like any breaking news or anything like that? So presumably in that case, someone else who, you know. That's a lot on props, has an opposing opinion. Uh, how do you treat those situations? Do you bet more on them? Do you, you know, circle that as like, maybe I want to watch out for this player next time? Uh, walk me through what goes through your head in, in that type of situation. It is very rare, first of all. Um, you know, sometimes I don't, uh, next year I'm actually looking to bring on uh, somebody in mind, but I'm like looking to bring on somebody who, because right now it's really gotten to be too much where I'm originating all these props and trying to send them out to people. So I'm trying to next year have it that basically I'm just originating and someone else is sending out everything for me. Um, and they can also help, as you're saying, stuff moves. So try to help me be more organized, hit the stuff that doesn't move at first, kind of be a little more systematic and get a little bit more down per prop and maybe just cover a little bit more ground too if, if I'm doing less on that end. But so when I'm sending out to people, sometimes there's a lag on when it gets bet and they, it's very rare that they come back and say like, actually, it's a lot better than you sent out. It's either they typically getting the same price or saying, hey, this moved 15 cents. Do you still want it? But in those cases, I mean, of course, it's going to happen to everyone sometimes. And so those cases, usually I will circle back to the prop because as I said, I go kind of quickly. So I'm going to maybe spend a little bit more time on it, really dig a little bit closer, maybe even ask somebody, you know, who else so I know bets props, see if they think anything about it. And if I really can't see a reason my projection was wrong, yeah, I'm happy to go back and bet more. And honestly, I don't track that separately. So I don't know if I'm like how I'm doing on those versus other props, but it's a rare enough instance that if it's a leak, it's not hurting me substantially. And if it's helping me, it's maybe not that substantially either, just because it's such a small percent of volume is circling back to stuff that at a better price that it probably doesn't have a huge influence. And so maybe it's a case where, you know, it's an overconfidence and I'm just missing it, but it's it's just a small enough part that it's not really like dragging down or having a huge impact on my overall result. A couple things in that response that I'd, I'd like to, uh, to pick up on, but one of them, um, you mentioned just now that like, that's not something that you track specifically. 
when I heard you on the Always Betting pod, um, I, I got the impression, I don't know if you explicitly said it, I was just listening to it on like one and a half times speed, but I got the impression that you don't actually track your bets uh, maybe at all. Is that is that true? And if it is, is there a specific reason for that? Well, I definitely track the bets like I have a you know a spreadsheet where like I'm seeing if I'm winning or losing yep. and I do have what side it's on. But I actually, the very start of the season, I was putting in like, you know, if it was an over or an under or rebounds and... I just, about a weekend, I just scrapped that. And so the reason for that, again, is just volume focused, right? It might not sound like a lot, but I'm putting in 60 bets in a day and then, you know, betting a lot of that same stuff multiple times. It's going to take a certain amount of time. And I just don't necessarily know if it's going to add a lot to me. For one thing, I'm worried about splitting results into smaller categories, right? So, like, if you go back and you look at week by week, it's, you know, one week you're down a ton of money and then the next week you're up twice what you were down the last week. And you say, well, like, was there something about the week of February 1st to 7th? It's like, no, it's just, you know, a week of results. So if I have, you know, 6% on over assists ROI, but 2% on under rebounds, I'm not not going to really take some conclusion like, okay, I should stop betting under rebounds because of that. I just kind of have a belief that if I'm successfully handicapping, then, you know, it's going to carry over and there's going to be some variation on how you do. So it's literally just to save time. Maybe next year when I'm working with someone, it's something I'll spend a little bit more time on. But I'm not I'm not trying to like optimize to be the best at this in a sense. I'm trying to optimize to make the most. So it's not as much about refining my process as just betting as much as possible on as many bets as possible because I know they're gonna win over time. So if I'm if I'm missing some small amount of optimization in exchange for more volume, I think that's gonna be a worthwhile trade off. Yeah, I mean, that's fair enough. I, I'm just curious, like, obviously you're doing this pretty regularly. You, a lot of bets are going in. Do you ever, um, like, perceive that you're struggling with a certain type of bet? Like, are are you in tune enough that, let's say you are, and this is an extreme example, let's say you're minus 30% ROI betting player prop rebounds. Would you be able to pick that up just because of like you're handicapping it every day and you're like, you know, shit, I'm not, I'm never getting results on this bet type. Because if you can do that, then maybe tracking the bets individually is like absolutely not worth it anyways. You know, I guess I'm not sure. I, <laughs> I'd like to think I could, but the results are pretty steady. I mean, yeah, you have a losing week. Obviously, you'll have you know, a couple of losing days, you know, most weeks, but really, you know, don't really have losing months. Certainly nothing close to a losing season or anything. So if I do have, it is possible I'm missing some leaks and there's something maybe when I have a little bit more time next year, I would be interested in doing a little bit more, but I guess I'm like kind of, it's kind of like a being a hack coder, right? If it's not broken, don't fix it. So at least like the process I have has been very successful for me for a long time. So it's, yeah, I do think, you know, certainly, I will say actually NFL player props, um, I was not as successful at those overall, and I did track more, and I did sort of see some areas that I thought I had leaks. Um, but I, well, the impetus for doing that is that the overall, but the overall success was very, it was, it was up, but very small. So I wasn't satisfied with how I was doing. So I think I had to go kind of refine the process. But I just look at the volume of the NBA times the you know ROI, and I'm pleased with how it's going. So it's kind of just keep going if it's working. Do you have a working theory as to why you weren't having as much success betting NFL props relative to NBA? 
Yeah, I would say just not really as much understanding of the league. Not really as deep an understanding of scheme and how teams are going to play, adjust from week to week. Um, I think I had a lot of success with those game props that I was doing with my partner. So I was just kind of, and I had a lot of success doing NBA player props. So I just kind of had a sense like I'm really good at player props and I'm really good at NFL. But really, it was good at NBA player props and good at NFL game props that my partner had modeled. And I mean, I was still winning a little, and but I think it was just kind of an overconfidence coming from those two things that I wasn't really, didn't really understand the game at the same level. You- and I was just going to say, like the way I, the way I handicap is very like matchup based and very like, not not very matchup based. Maybe not as much as someone like Pips. I've listened to some of his stuff, but I, I do think there's like you really need to have an under like a pretty good understanding of the teams and the players in a way that a model that's not necessarily going to have a need. Uh, I, I have to pr- promote mm-hmm. Pips right now because uh, honestly, he does such a great job. I watch the show every day and his audience is criminally underrated. So if you're serious about basketball betting, listen, there's lots of people that are great basketball betters in the space. Pips is very matchup oriented and he bets a lot of stuff that can kind of keep you under the radar at sports books as well because it's like parlays and same game parlays. But you can check, o- check out the Hammers NBA channel. It's called the Board NBA Pips is on every single morning for pick and roll with his co-host Jacob Gramenia as well. So be sure to check it out if you're into NBA. Uh, it's a really good show. He's very, very knowledgeable in the sport. And uh, I mean, I would be remiss if I didn't promo him after you brought him up yourself here. Yeah, his, his stuff is great. Definitely learned from learned from watching him. He, uh, I think he probably watches more games than I do. You know, I try, I try to watch what I can, but you know, time's an issue, so. I think he watches more and probably has an even better understanding. I, playoffs, I lock into that a lot more because you're going to get the less games and the same teams playing over and over. But regular season, I'm sure I'm missing some stuff in matchups that he's catching because you know it's only so much time. You know what's crazy? I mean, he's Croatia. He's he's based in Croatia as well, so the timing for him is messed up. But he loves the NBA so much that his hours are like the weirdest hours ever, so he can catch as much basketball as possible. Uh, he truly has a passion for the game. We'll drop the link in the description below for the board NBA, but it's part of the hammer. Be sure that you check it out. Uh, you're obviously having a lot of success, Adam. Uh, it's, that's very clear. What do you think is your biggest threat right now to losing your edge? I don't think it's one thing. I just think it's an evolution of uh, players in the market, right? Again, people, just more and more people are going to get better at it. Um, I think it happens so much faster in poker because poker was a closed system. So you could use the same 52 cards every time. So you can just run the math, especially in something like heads up. And then you learn how to play and it's just the same thing every time. But it, it I don't think anyone's going to catch up as quickly in sports because it's, it's dynamic, right? Everything's always, players change teams every year. Players get in and out of injuries, coaches change. So there's not going to be one gotcha where people just build a build some kind of you know the equivalent of a poker solver, but the reality is, I mean, the market just gets harder. I'm sure that if I could, my ROI has been reasonably stable over time, but I'm sure that's like two competing lines of the market getting harder and my skills getting better. So it's I'm sure if I could go back with what I know now, six years ago, it would certainly be a better ROI than I had then or than I have now. But so I just try to evolve, try to stay up, you know, up to it, but. I am sure that I'm not going to sustain the same level of success I've had, you know, the last three, four years. Um, like I'm okay with that. Right. Like you're going to have, I learned poker was, that was a good lesson very early on. I was like 25 and washed up. So 
you know, it's uh, it teaches you that save your money, don't let you know, save your money, keep trying to improve, and accept that you know at the same time, like you're not going to be as good at something as you are at now and in the future as you are now. Yep, good advice. Um, in your experience, um, what would you say are some of the the biggest misconceptions that people have about prop betting, and like how would you address those misconceptions? Uh, no, everyone's right. They're not worth your time. Don't bet them. Stay away from them. <laughs> Absolutely not. We're not. Um, I think that one thing, you know, someone like Spanky will say that, like, you know, props are just a courtesy. Like, and I think that's how it was in the past, but that's that's not the reality at all now. I think something like, you know, half the handle of some of these sites are props and, but, you know, including same game parlays. So I think one misconception I touched on a little bit is that it's going to get you picked off, like, instantly. And some sites and by you know points bet yeah you know shipper's gonna kick shipper would have kicked you off in a day and but. he's gonna take he's gonna take extreme <laughs> pride in kicking you off too it's and and make me extremely frustrated yes but but there's a lot of sites right where you can they'll let you gamble for a while and if you're winning then they'll kick you off but i mean it's the same if you're winning like i said you're getting crv and winning at other other sports they're gonna kick you off and especially as like an American, right? If you're betting like college soccer and crushing the clothes, I think that's going to get you flagged a lot faster than if you're betting NFL props, especially because I do. Yeah, some of the softest lines are going to be on opens, but unlike, unlike four games, like I do think I can walk, look through an NBA game at close that I haven't looked at yet and absolutely find multiple edges. Even, you know, so the lines, I know Johnny's touched on that actually before saying that the closes are pretty sharp and they're certainly sharp and open, but I do think he's kind of incorrect that like, that if you really know what you're doing, that you can't look at late in the day and find a lot of edges still. So, you know, if you're betting props an hour before the game, I don't think that's necessarily the most toxic for an account versus a lot of other stuff you could be betting. that's also winning. Um, and another thing too, is just like a lot of people get into betting, right? They're not coders. They don't want to bet on like Russian ping pong or Polish soccer, right? They want to bet on the sports they like. They grew up liking the ones on TV. So it's a chance to props, I think, are an opportunity that you can win just from kind of a good combination of logic and uh, deep knowledge of the sport that you're watching in a way that maybe doesn't apply. Like, but if you're a huge NFL fan, you watch all the games, you're not going to have success betting spreads just off of that. But I think you can apply more basic reasoning and understanding to props and win. And I think that's like, I kind of recommend it to people for that reason too. It's fun, right? Like why do you, pe- why do people bet? Like, you know, dopamine rush is one, but you know, they, they like sports. They like trying to like, same reason they play fantasy, right? They'll read, you know, tons of articles and some home league they're paying $20 for the season for it. It's, it's fun. They like to make predictions, like to see those predictions validated. I think props are an opportunity for people without a math coding background to actually be able to find winning best. Yeah, well said. Um, your Twitter profile uh, says husband, dad to he- two humans and two dogs. Um, what you've described in your process seems very labor intensive and time intensive. How do you balance your commitments as a sp- sports better uh, with your responsibilities as a husband and a father. I mean, even just setting up this interview, you told me like I gotta get kids out the house to the to their grandmother's house and whatever. Like, I mean, 
I'm sure there's a way that you you pull it off, but are you able to just like turn it off like that, step away from a computer at a certain time, or is it just like kind of like a negotiation with the wife of like this is this is my life, this is what I do? Just walk me through that a little bit. I mean, it's to each their own, but I'm curious about your personal experience. Yeah, it's definitely a balance and definitely something that you know was a big shift becoming you know my um, kids are two and four, so for a lot of the time I was doing this, it wasn't you know a consideration. Obviously, it's very different now. Um, but so what I mentioned, my wife, you know, works from home. I mean, we're a stay-at-home uh, mom right now. So that, you know, obviously it's more time. And I work from home. Um, and actually, uh, I have a very good ability to focus. So I actually have my desk set up in, like, a common area. Okay. So it's pretty it's pretty hectic. But I can actually focus and still be, like, which I enjoy. It's a trade-off. Like, yeah, maybe a little bit less productive. But I get to be around my kids and, you know, family a lot of the time. And if they need something, I can help them. And they, they play together pretty well. So a lot of times you're just kind of refereeing a little bit more than anything. And yeah, you know, I used to, when I was, before I had kids, I would wake up and just like, you know, 30 seconds after I woke up, I was at my desk. Now, you know, get up, try to get them some breakfast, you know, get, get them out to preschool, uh, get them to bed. So definitely you miss, out. of course you miss opportunities, but you know, everything's a trade off. And another thing too is I don't bet baseball at all anymore. Currently, the edges were diminishing, and currently, I just wanted to have some time off. So, from you know NBA finals and basically to the NFL, I'm not betting at all. I bet a little FIBA this year; that was pretty soft. But for the most part, you know, I'm taking pretty much the whole summer off, and I got a few months just totally off, which is nice. And yeah, I mean, it's a balance; it's busy, but at the same time, you know, if, you know, you just have to make do. So there's no there's no shortcut answer there. Like, there's no. Yeah, I miss, you know, I miss out a little less time with the kids and a little less time working, but there's only so many hours in the day. Just try to balance it the best you can. Yeah, listen, I don't want to come across as like a complete asshole here, but I'm in the same age as you. I've chosen in my life not to have children. I don't experience this problem. I have my my nephew, who's my godson, and whenever he's around, even like to spend three or four hours with him, I'll do that, no problem. Love, Love the kid, but like... I cannot be working at the same time. So for for you to be able to balance that, I think that's pretty impressive. Uh, and I was just generally curious because, yeah, it, it's a process. I mean, when when you have a manual process and you're going through that on a day to day, and there's all sorts of of different things that that come into the equation, I'm sure it could be a challenge. But it sounds like you uh, you certainly have it figured it figured out. So, congrats on yeah. that. Yeah, I will say just one thing I'm still working on that's hard is just kind of mentally turning it off, right? So like. Ideally, you know, you finish, uh, you finish betting for the day or for that amount of time, like you would really want to just refocus. It is tough. Like, you know, your mind's really, you spend, you know, a few hours just dig- digging into NBA straight and then all of a sudden, you know, they want to go build a puzzle. And yeah, it's like, it's a little hard sometimes to just kind of instantly switch, like, switch your mindset back to what you would, you know, to something totally different, but it's a work in progress. And, you know, we're all growing, we're all learning. Do, do you uh, do you sweat the games over the course of the night? Like, are you are you constantly checking score? I mean, I'm I'm sure when you have 60, 70 bets, it's got a weigh on you knowing that that's going on in the background. Are you able to like even get away from that at all? Or are you checking over the course of a night? Yes and no. Um, we're on the East Coast now. Um, I was in San Diego for about 12 years. We moved back to be uh, closer to like family, especially my wife's. We're like right down the street from where my wife grew up. So, uh, and so while well, the kids are, the kids go to bed not that long after the game start. So I try to not really be sweating while they're still up. Um, can't say I'm perfect on that, but <laughs> you know, I try to try to just you know look away. Uh, 
And honestly, sometimes having so many bets is easier to not sweat because you honestly can't even keep track of how you're doing. Sometimes I'll scroll my phone and I think I'm buried and I'm having a good day and vice versa because you don't even remember. I do a lot of parlays these days. So sometimes you think you're doing well, but you've gone, you know, you got eight two-leg parlays and you're eight and eight and you lost all eight parlays. <laughs> and then other times, you know, you, it just turns out like your six biggest plays of the day all hit, even though you had a lot of losers. So honestly, it's so, sometimes when there's so many games, it's a little bit easier to not sweat or not worry about it than if I just had like one primetime NFL game going on. And I know I've got four or five main plays that I'm focused on. It's actually, I actually find that really more addictive in a way. But the NBA is so hectic, I'm kind of just like, I can step away and come back in a few hours and see how I'm doing. Nice. When the kids go to bed, probably sweating a little more, trying to yeah, watch a little or you know, check the phone a little more. But, you know, I, I used to sweat even worse. Uh, so, I mean, it's fun, right? Like, why do people gamble who don't even have an edge? Like, it's. There is, a, there is yeah. an entertainment value associated with it, for sure. As long as you're betting responsibly for the people out there, even if you don't have an edge, of course, you can have a lot of fun, even if you're a losing better uh, over the long run. Uh, last week, we had Joey Kanish on. I asked him for his plus EV and minus EV moves of the week. He had no idea what I was talking about. Hopefully, you do here, Adam. I don't know if you came prepared for this week, but I'm looking for one thing that's plus EV, and it could be anything in life. doesn't have to be sports betting. One thing that's minus EV. The floor is yours. Plus EV, I also have a paid ad read for a local smoothie chain, just like Kanish. <laughs> <laughs> what was he doing, man? That was what he came up with. People don't even realize we pre-record these shows, too. He had so much time. Like, we put him on the and we're like, we can, you take your time, and that's what he came up with, yeah. No, okay, so plus EV actually... I'd say this is especially for people who are professionals or maybe people who just have a job where they work from home at their computer is try to find some outside interests that are just outside your house, social, and have nothing to do with what you're doing for a job. Um, actually, when I was in San Diego for, I believe, about 10 years, I coached high school track and cross country. And sometimes it was, you know, sometimes it could be like, feel like, oh, I'm, you know, missing out on all these hours of work. And, you know, that's money. I'm not getting paid anything to do this. But I think at the end of the day, it keeps you a lot more focused. I think it adds a lot of value to your life to just, you know, you go out to practice for an hour and a half, You're, especially in San Diego. The weather's so nice. You're outside, working out with the kids sometimes. You know, get, and just doing something, you know, they have no idea. Most of them didn't know what I did for a job. They don't know what plus EV or ROI means. Like, because it's just, it's, it's addictive, right? It's very easy to get sucked into this life and have it become like your full, your hobby, your job, your, your everything. So I think it, that leads to a lot of burnout or just maybe not being happy overall. So, I mean, you could obviously coach a lot for everyone, you know, play sports, join a club, start a band, whatever, just try to do something that's nothing to do with this. I think it's going to both help you with your longevity and your mental health, which pretty in both of those uh, can be challenged sometimes in this space. Yep. Uh, lo I love that one. Um, and I've taken that advice personally myself and it, I have a much different outlook on uh, not only outlook on life, but it's just made, made me healthier as a person for doing that. So I think that's a really solid piece of advice. Uh, minus EV move of the week. Uh, didn't follow my own advice, but don't live somewhere cold. <laughs> I, nope. I, lived, I grew up in Boston and I live in New York now, but I lived in San Diego for about 10, 11 years and that it was the best. I just love being, like, I'm not a gym person. I don't really like being gym. I don't really like lifting weights, which if you look at me, it's not hard to guess, but I love, I love running. I, you know, did that in high school. I love just 
putting my headphones on, going shooting hoops, walking my dogs. And I definitely found like it was just like a huge quality of boost, uh, life boost to be somewhere where you didn't even need to own a winter coat. And I know people have different family situations. That's or you know, work situations. That's obviously why I moved. But if you have flexibility and I just love living somewhere warm and, and uh, I'd recommend at least giving it a shot if you're from cold weather. You don't have to, you don't have to be in the cold. You have choices. Uh. I, I mean, the, the, that advice is heard loud and clear. Un, unfortunately, Toronto is all I've ever known. So it's like the, the thought of going somewhere else, I don't want to say that it's scary. Um, maybe causes like some anxiety, maybe. But I, 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 you just get used to it after a while, I think. I mean, Zach, do you get used to the, the Toronto cold? Yeah, I mean, I'm used to it at this point. I don't even notice. Like the other thing too is I had... Uh, I've had people say to me like, oh, it was a really cold day today. Like, did you, how, it was so cold. And like, it wasn't that cold. Yeah. Like, what are we talking about? It was like minus 10. I'm like, it wasn't that cold. Like, of relatively, but it's definitely cold. Yes. Yeah. That's minus know. 10 Celsius, which for our American friends yeah, is four, 14 Fahrenheit. Yeah. Uh, but you know what? Honestly, though, I am saying that because we've had a very mild winter this year. I had like three days where it snowed. I had to shovel the driveway maybe one time. So not that bad. I'm sure if it was a worse winter, I would be right on board with what Adam is saying right now. Yeah. I mean, everything's a trade-off. I think, you know, my, my kids growing up near family is more important to us than, you know, the warm weather, but I I quite enjoyed it for the time I was there. I uh, I don't have a minus EV of the week, but I'm just, this really bothered me right before we, we went on air today. Um, and maybe it's just like a call out of the week. Uh, you could probably guess the establishment. I won't show their logo logo on screen, but uh, me and Zach ordered, uh, you know, some some combos, and we got these we got these coke these diet cokes or whatever, and uh, they gave us straws, but the lid has nowhere to actually put a straw in. Like I was just jamming a straw trying to find the spot for thirty seconds before I realized that there is no straw here. Like. Mm. He, this is fine. Just don't put the straw in the bag. If I actually cannot put the straw in the top of the thing, I was there like an idiot slamming into you. I don't. I don't know what's with these cups. And uh, anyways, that really sent me for no reason. This tells you the kind of human being I am. Sent me for a real spin before the show today. Uh, closing question, Adam. If you could go back five years and talk to a previous version of yourself, what advice would you give to your for- former self? Oh, I wish I could go back even more than five years, but I think even five would help. Um, I touched on this a little bit, but so I think the difference, like a lot of people who get into betting, they didn't necessarily get in because they knew they're going to be successful. They got into it because they like betting. It's And I definitely think you can be addicted even if you're a winning better. You don't suffer the same consequences of losing money, but in terms of being reliant on that dopamine rush, that... You, I definitely think there's probably times that you think, well, if I go out, then I'm costing myself this much EV because I could have been betting. But I think maybe more that's the, the your logical part of your brain trying to frame it that way. When in reality, maybe it's just an addiction that you just really want to be on your computer betting because it's fun and it's addictive. And I think there's some stuff like, you know, kind of maybe live life to the fullest a little bit more at times and you make a little less, so be it. But it's... uh I think you just always have that mindset like you're winning. So like it's healthy to keep, you know, do it as much as you want. But I don't necessarily think that's always the case. And I think I would have just tried to be a little bit more balanced uh, than I was. I mean, the coaching helps, like I mentioned, but I think there's a lot of, there's definitely some stuff that just 
you know, maybe was a little more reluctant to travel or just take some time and really enjoy life a little bit. Because the theoretical, you know, one of the huge benefits of this job is the huge increase in freedom from a normal job, a normal work schedule. And I think a lot of people, myself included, don't enjoy that freedom because you get addicted to trying to bet as much as you can, sweat the games. And so try to actually, you know, try to actually go back and use the freedom that you theoretically have, but you create your own your own kind of trap, even if you don't have a boss telling you you have to work, if you're telling yourself you have to work. Yeah, absolutely. His name is Adam. You can follow him on Twitter at the Beagle Bets. Before you follow him on Twitter, make sure you smash that like button down below. Make sure you're subbed here, then head out over to Twitter. Give him a follow. He deserves more people following him for his opinions and his acumen in sports betting. And of course, we're back with a brand new episode next week right here on the Circles Off channel. So if you want to, just set those bell notifications. You'll get alerted whenever a new episode drops. You can watch it right in real time. And we do read the comments every single week. So make sure you drop some comments down below. This has been Circles Off, episode number 143, right here on the Hammer Betting Network, presented by Pinnacle Sportsbook. We'll catch everyone next week.